0: Welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors Podcast. Today I have Justin Earhart of Premium Hunts out of Eastern Arizona on the line. Justin, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Jay? Good. It looks like you guys have had a long but fruitful season in the state of Arizona. Uh, I, I know you guys just finished up uh, your late elk hunts and then some late deer hunts. Uh, how was your season overall, Justin?
1: Uh, we had a pretty good season. You know, it was a little rougher over in New Mexico than it was in Arizona, but uh, we we had a good year overall,
0: I think. What, um, the last hunt you just finished, I know you guys helped uh, uh, look like a youth hunter on the coos deer hunt, the late season coos deer hunt. Uh, looks like you shot a good buck. I saw it yesterday. Uh, tell me a little bit about that hunt. Yeah,
1: we, <clears throat> we helped a, uh, a kid out on a tag for that late, late hunt over here in unit 27. And it was a, it was a good hunt. I mean, the bucks weren't really rutting yet. Um, obviously we saw a lot of pre-rut action. Um, few real small deer that were chasing around, but, um, you know, the bigger deer were just kind of roaming, wandering around, still, still running scrape lines. We watched quite a few deer making scrapes and, uh, just we're lucky enough to capitalize on a nice buck.
0: So, Justin, you talk about you're up there in Unit 27. You're, you're based out of, is it Springerville or Eager? Where are you out of? Yeah, Springerville, Eager, basically the same okay. community. Okay, so Unit 27, obviously pretty high elevation, um, you know, fairly northern in, in, you know, part of the state. It's an eastern part of the state. But, you know, we talked we've talked on podcasts before, I'm not sure with you exactly, but other guys, how um, coos deer specifically, um, you know, start their rutting right there after Christmas, and then they transition into January. And it's interesting to hear me. I would think Unit 27 of all the units in Arizona would be one of those that you would see some of those more mature bucks um, really rutting uh, here. And we're, we're recording this podcast on the 29th of December. Um, and, and with the cold weather and snow and what have you, um, I, I would have thought that maybe those deer would have been a little more active in those mature bucks than chasing does. My question is this, is this year's activity, you know, basically normal for what you see, or were you kind of shocked that maybe they were, um, you know, the bigger bucks weren't chasing does and they were a little bit behind or is that normal? No,
1: it's it's pretty normal. It's actually a little better this year than it was last year because last year was super warm on this hunt. But it's it's pretty normal. I mean, usually, you know, you're going to catch these last couple days of the month, you're going to start seeing the more mature bucks every day begin to be more, in, <clears throat> more and more into the rut. But uh, right, right now, man, I haven't seen a buck over 80 inches pushing does. So, every everything that's been a mature deer has been roaming, still still running scrape lines, uh, covering country.
0: Okay, and that was something else that you said that um, I've seen them do it a lot in Mexico when we're hunting some of these earlier dates, you know, after Christmas and even before Christmas, after Christmas, around New Year's when they're not really showing running behavior but they are running scrape lines and it seems like you'll see a good buck and he'll be walking and then he'll stop and he'll make a scrape he'll just keep walking and literally you'll see him go over one ridge and if you wait long enough all of a sudden he pops up and he's coming up the next ridge Um, talk a little bit about how difficult it is when you see a buck in this time frame you know, making scrapes, how it can be difficult to actually get on that deer and kill them?
1: Uh, it can be extremely difficult because you, you don't know how far the buck's going to go and if you lose sight of them for just a fraction of a second, you know, you know, as good as anybody, Jay, how that can turn out. Uh, you lose lose sight of them and they're gone. Uh, they, they have a knack for disappearing real easy and that that buck that we ended up killing on this last hunt, he uh, we watched him cover about three-quarters of a mile. Luckily, we could keep our eyes on him dang near the entire time and had a couple extra guys around to help out, and we were able to move and just keep eyes on him while he was working that scrape line and uh, were able to connect on him that way.
0: So, Justin, at what point in time... So, obviously, in Arizona, the December rifle hunt ends on the 31st, and then the archery hunts start up January 1st. And um, I'm not familiar with the season structure in Unit 27, but I believe you can hunt 27 with a bow uh, in some of those other units up there with a bow. As an archery hunter, then starting January first, how do you see that transition of bucks really checking scrape lines to make kind of turning into more than more than checking scrape lines? Now they're kind of now getting in with does. They're tending does. They're you know, what's the timeline as we move into January for you seeing where the bucks are more alone? You know, on the walk to they start really getting into it with the does. I would say those first couple days of January and
1: the first, second, and third, that's when the coos deer are really going to seem to start turning it on, think it up a notch. Um, but again, weather will play a big big factor in that. Um, I've seen it where it will shut down a little bit if that warm weather will hit again, but generally it's those first few days of January where you know they're more or less running does, checking them, and... Still, still moving from group to group, but rather than just working country, they're working, working those.
0: Uh, speaking about cooster and we'll talk about Mule Deer in a second. Cooster specifically up there in your um, eastern country up there. Uh, what would you say is like the best seven days of chasing, where you, you know, maybe some of the biggest bucks of the year are vulnerable and out moving around if you had to pick a seven-day window you know since you've been running around up there for the last however many years what is that seven-day window that the most activity of of chasing and and bigger bucks really out in the open and and with those you know what's that seven-day best window for the Tuesday i would
1: probably say somewhere around january 5th through the 12th that would, that would probably be my best guess because that seems like when we're seeing the most action. I mean, we've seen bucks lock up in that date, date range right there and uh, just really go at it, you know, over a hot doe, and those have been some pretty dang good dates for the
0: coos. And then after the 12th, how long do you have kind of intermittent chasing and, and bucks showing signs of running activity? And then the second follow-up question is that: When do you really see up there in your country? When do you really see that the action on the coos gear really tapering off on a normal year? So I would say after after the, those first seven days,
1: probably you're going to see the bucks rotting probably into, you know, the twentieth through the twenty fifth. But those last few days of the month, they're really going to be tapering off that last week can be pretty tough i've seen a lot of big bucks hold up that time of year and you know you'll still see those smaller deer coming in thinking they're going to get a turn but it's, it's already over for the most part okay
0: let's talk a little bit about mule deer and and um, before we do that uh, um, unit 27 is open for over-the-counter deer correct archery Yes, correct, the entire month of January. Okay. Um, Let's talk about mule deer, and let's talk about some of these same questions with mule deer. Moving into January, when is, you know, the peak of the rut? Has it already passed? Like, is it usually Christmas time, or when is the best seven days for the mule deer up there that you've witnessed? I I would have to say probably
1: the 1st through the 7th while we were out two days ago on that hunt um my partner actually glassed up a mule deer and he had bred a doe so it's it's already kicked off over here the the muleys have been rutting pretty dang hard these last few days but you know it's it's going to be even better that first week of january okay
0: and then, do they have a more prolonged rutting period than coos deer, or, or is it pretty much the same, real hot and heavy for about a week, and then an additional week, and then it starts to taper off, or do you tend to see those mule deer rutting for a longer period of time?
1: No, I mean, I i would say it's pretty much the same as the coos deer around here. I mean, they are they're, they're going to be off just a little bit on their dates, but they are going to be you know, rutting pretty dang hard for a couple weeks and then just slowly tapering off and you'll see bucks start roaming again and then it'll just taper off and they'll go solo again.
0: Okay. <laughs> Justin, you mentioned uh, your partner. Um, talk a little bit about your team of guides and, and how your operation works. Um, obviously, we're going to get into the elk and antelope uh, stuff here uh you know, talk about the Arizona the regulations that just came out with these up, the upcoming deadline, February twelfth. But talk a little bit about um, your operation at Premium Hunts uh, and you know, kind of how it all worked.
1: You know, we just uh, be honest with you, Jay. We've got a really good group of guys who who help us out a lot. They do a tremendous job, and we're we're very fortunate to have the guys we have. Um, You know, everybody works hard. We all work great together, and we just put forth 110% into everything we have. Um, Whether it be elk, deer, it doesn't matter. Um, Just pretty lucky to have the guys that we have.
0: That's awesome. Now, does the same crew or some of the same overlapping crew work uh, your New Mexico? Because you do hunts and have landowner tags and draw tags and what have you in new mexico as well just across the state line um do you have a whole different crew over there or is it an overlapping crew
1: no it's an overlapping crew we you know we we're right here on the state line so we we can actually hunt the the western side of new mexico and the eastern side of arizona and i mean it's not far at all for us to scout any of it hunt any of it um so we we pretty much stick with the same same group of guys for the most part and everybody just you know bounces around from hunt to hunt depending on what what we have on schedule we we hit it hard and scout it out best we can
0: this last year on the archery hunt um and the last time i had you on the podcast we talked a little bit about Um, I think it was before the hunts. Um, But you guys, for as tough a year as it was across the state, you guys actually shot some pretty good bulls. Um, One, I believe, was right at 400. Uh, If not, maybe it was broken, would have been, I think, 420 or something. But um, talk about the year that we just had and, you know, some of the successes and, and failures of, of the season and some of the stuff that you saw that might've been different than normal years or just basically recap this, this past season, the 2018 elk season. Well, you
1: know, Jay, we were, we're pretty lucky to be where we were at for this year because these units right here, pretty drought resistant, um, rather than some of the other areas more up North so we didn't get hit by the drought near as bad as some of the other units throughout the state. Um, I did see it a tiny bit on some bulls here and there, but, I mean, for the most part, we, we avoided the drought pretty, pretty good for as bad as it was this year. Um, so we, we had a pretty good year. I mean, size is, is obviously down across the board. Um, I personally tend to think that's from overhunting. I mean, there's been a lot of lot of permits. Uh, they're really just shoot, shooting the numbers, the age. Um, there's still some really nice bulls out there, but for the most part, I would say for these units right here, um, size was down because of lack of age class, rather than uh, you know feed and water and everything like that.
0: Justin, specifically. Do you feel that it's the archery numbers, the late archery, the, the the late rifle, what do you think is having the biggest impact on the age class there in 27 and 1?
1: Uh, <clears throat> the biggest impact's going to be the late rifle hunt. It's I mean for unit 27, they're pumping out 460 tags, which don't get me wrong, it's it's still a great hunt, but The hunters are so more efficient these days, Jay, that, I mean, you put 460 people out there with the technology and everything these days, the bulls are going to take a beating, especially in some of these burned out big canyons over here.
0: So, in other words, the late season, because of the number of tags, the older age class bulls, they all bunch up in those late hunts. You get some snow and what have you in the right conditions. You get guys with great binoculars, tripods, and, you know, able to shoot further, more efficient, you know, more accurate, and they're killing more of those older age class bulls than, say, maybe they weren't 15 years ago. Um, In your mind, if, if you could play... Um, you know, Justin can play wildlife manager and can dictate to manage for quality, uh, quality experience, older age class bulls. You would just simply lower the amount of late tags and you, and you feel that that would bring the age class back up.
1: Well, I mean, you, you talk about quality, um, quality of the animal yes it would definitely bring it up but that's not going to help the quality of the hunt in say the archery season i mean the the hunts seem to be more and more managed for opportunity only where you know there's a lot of people that would like a quality hunt Um, quality can be interpreted many different ways for many different people Um, i for one don't think it's a quality hunt when you have to foot race somebody multiple times each day of the hunt it's it's not fun it's uh it's very stressful um animals take a beating and if, if you're talking more or less just quality age then yeah I mean you're gonna have to drop drop the late rifle tags tremendously and that will definitely bring up the age class but overall quality of hunt they're going to have to do something for a lot of these hunts to make that better
0: you know it would be interesting you know i've thought a lot about potentially if, if they take that two-week archery season you take a unit like 27 or a unit like one where you know you've got uh those archery tags you've got uh what is it for a uh, 70 let's see 300 tags in Unit 1 and 225 and 27, and if you split them up into two hunts, you would have half the amount of people per hunt, but I also go back to you would also have increased uh, pressure like over a two-week period, whereas if you have uh, 300 uh, people in Unit 1, maybe a quarter of them go home after the first five days or maybe half of them go home after the first five days, um, but if you split it into two hunts, uh, potentially I would think you would have more intense pressure for that same amount of time, if that makes sense. So the the pressure on the animals would probably be even more. Um, but simply what I hear you saying is, you know, the 225 and 27 and the 300 in unit one, if they would just cut those back, it seemed like unit one, it used to be 150 for a long time on the archery hunt. The last time I hunted in there was forever ago, but 2002, obviously pre-burn, there was only 150 tags, and I just, you know, and there was some cow tags as well. I believe there's 75 uh, cow tags and 100 in, in unit 27, but seemed like the pressure was not really a factor. When now we're at you know 300 tags, uh, in unit one and 225 and in 27. That's you know basically twice the amount of people. Yeah, it,
1: the the pressure is, is bad. I mean, you you literally 27. Yes, you can get away from people, but you are in very low density areas. Um, You know, you are in dirty, nasty country, and you may or may not see an elk. I mean, you're, but you're away from people. I mean, that's, that's one thing that's good about it. You, there are places you can hunt good bulls and get away from people in 27. Where Unit 1, um, this year, I personally was uh, <clears throat> guiding the Unit 1 archery hunt, and it was, it was a good hunt. We, we saw some nice bulls and everything, but quality was down. And pressure is high. I mean, I don't know if there were many days where we didn't have a foot race or multiple foot races. And I mean, I'm I'm working one end of the unit to the other, east side to west side, north end to south end. It's everywhere you go, there's people.
0: Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the regulations for Arizona. Uh, elk and antelope have just come out. Um, I'm still waiting for GoHunt.com Insider to release the draw odds um, to see the point structures and what, but I've got last year's number, so we can talk a little bit about it. Um, across the board, uh, doesn't seem to be many changes at all for the Unit 1 and 27 hunts uh, that I could see. Um, is, is that is that what you saw as well? Yeah, that's correct. All the tag numbers
1: have stayed the same. Um, Looks like all the dates have been bumped back a day.
0: But tag numbers are all the same. I I looked up uh, the full moon next September is the 14th of September, and the archery hunt would obviously start on a Friday, uh, September 13th. uh, With that full moon being right there on opening weekend, in general terms, for Unit 1 and 27, how does that play into your mind? Maybe you already knew the moon was full that opening weekend, or, or if you're just finding that out, how, what's your first impressions of the, the balance of that hunt as far as how it's going to progress, and what's your thoughts on the two-week structure of, you know, when would be the best, um, you know, maybe when would be the, the worst? Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I, I hadn't noticed anything on the moon yet, Jay, but uh you know, I, I would rather it be full that first part of the hunt rather than the the very end, just because the very end's generally the best time of the season. So those last five days are what I like the best of the archery season. You know, the bulls are usually screaming pretty dang heavy by then. Um if it's pretty dark out at night, then they're going to be even even more active throughout the day, it seems like, where, you know, that first part of the hunt, it's usually typically pretty slow, so might as well have the moon bright on the slow end.
0: Okay, so I hear what you're saying and saying, you know, that typically that beginning of the season it's you know, a little bit slower, so you'd rather have the moon and have it getting smaller every day moving forward. It... it looks like to me you know with the the archery hunt uh ends on the 26th the the moon is completely dark on the 28th i'm betting like you said those last four five six days of the archery hunt as that moon's getting you know darker and darker and darker um it just could be insane and then the early rifle and muzzleloader hunts um i'm noticing that uh unit one has 40 tags on the early rifle and 27 this year is the muzzle loader and those dates are the 27th through the third uh there's 40 tags in each that's going to be through a completely pretty much dark moon period that that hunt could be really good
1: yeah that hunt's usually pretty dang good regardless but with the moon being real dark it'll be even better um problem is just getting lucky and pulling one of those tags
0: yeah for sure now correct me if i'm wrong but does every year the one in 27 flip flip-flop? so this year uh early rifle is in one and muzzle loaders in 27 was it the opposite last year last year unit one was muzzleloader, loader and and unit 27 was early rifle
1: yes that's correct
0: so, looking at those specifically at those two tags—early rifle and one, and muzzleloader and twenty-seven—this year, if you if you yourself could say, "I want one of those tags," which one would you lean towards wanting to have yourself?
1: Personally, I, w- I would want a unit twenty-seven tag, just because you know, I 20 big country, big rough country in it, and you never know what could just Stroll on out of it and and show up in your lap. Yeah.
0: Okay. Uh, You look at the. I'm looking at the point totals from Gohan Insider last year, talking about the archery and and if you look at the resident numbers last year for one, two B, and two C, uh, it took uh, 11 points for one and two B, two C. It took 10 points for 27. Whereas for non-residents, it looked like it took 16 points in Unit 1 and 15 points in 27. So um, it, it seems as though Unit 27 takes, and I think this has been a trend for quite a while, it takes about a point or two less typically every year to draw that 27 tag. Why do you think the Unit 1 always leaves Leads the pack in that, just because it's a lot more roads, a lot more user friendly, maybe more elk, not as rough a country. Yeah, definitely all of the above. I
1: mean, you're you're going to see a, you're going to have a lot more action packed hunt hunt in Unit One than you are in Twenty Seven, um, hands down. I mean, you and you could potentially kill a giant bull out of Unit One. There are some great bulls, but um you know i think it just takes more points to draw that because for one it's more action-packed people enjoy it more it's more mild country um like you said a lot you a lot more user-friendly you know you can be from one end of the unit to the other and no time flat in unit one whereas 27 if you try to go from one end to the other you're you, you got a long ways to go and you're going through some nasty country
0: Um, when you, I look at these late archery, uh, tags and it looks like there's 30 tags. It's November 8th through the 21st. Uh, so in, in one, two B, two C, you've got 30 tags in 27, you've got 30 tags. How is that hunt, uh, on a scale of, of, you know, challenge as far as how tough is that hunt? And, I also looking at the Gohan Insider here, looks like for Unit 1, it takes 8 points um, as a resident and 7 points for 27 uh, as a resident. And then for non residents, it looks like Unit 1 is 8 points and Unit 27 is 11 points um, to draw that. But how are those hunts as far as toughness? Uh, and is it feasible to think that you can shoot a good bull or you've really got your hands full?
1: You know they are tough hunts, but um, they are hunts where you're going to have plenty of of opportunities to put stocks on on nice animals. I mean, you're talking you're you're in there before you know 400 and something other rifle hunters even get a crack at it. So you're you're in there basically after you know the archery hunters in September and 40 rifle tags. So those late archery hunters they're getting a good crack at it a lot of really nice bulls. Um, But they are tough. Um, You know, if you play your cards right, you could have some opportunities at some really nice bulls, though.
0: This year, um, after the rut, how much broken points did you see? And and is that typical in 1-27 in to have a lot of broken points?
1: You know what, I, uh, I saw quite a few bulls that were pretty busted up. Um it's, it's pretty common for those later hunts to see bulls like that. This year it seemed like it was just a titch worse than normal, just I'm guessing maybe due to the lack of moisture we had early, early in the year. Um, whether or not that's true or not, I don't know. But it did seem just a little bit worse than normal.
0: Normally, uh, when you take Unit 1 and Unit 27, you already said that you would like uh, if you had to choose an early rifle in one or a muzzleloader in 27, you, you would take the, the 27 hunt. Um, from a physical standpoint, talk to the guys out there that are trying to weigh, you know, maybe they're non-residents, they're trying to weigh between one and 27. Um, you've already talked about some of the differences in elk and, you know, some of the different things about that but what about from a unit standpoint from a physicality standpoint um how much rougher is 27 and and talk a little bit about each unit there well 27 does
1: have a little bit of mild country in it but not much um it 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 is a lot more rough than unit one i mean they're they're Places that are very remote, big, nasty canyons where, I mean, you have the muggy on rim that runs right through the middle of 27, so you can be at 9,500 feet and then be down at 6, you know, in a matter of an hour. I mean, it's it falls fast. Unit 1 one's not like that, it's more gradual, tapering country. But for somebody trying to decide on, you know, which hunt would fit them better, it would be totally. I would have to say it would depend on their expectations for the hunt. So somebody who's looking for, you know, a more action-packed hunt, then I would definitely say unit one because you can have that great action and and still chase a lot of bulls, you know, that are pretty dang nice bulls. Where 27, you're not going to have near the action, but you most likely are going to be chasing some dang good bulls whenever you get a crack at them
0: what about from a bugling standpoint and just just bugling activity um is there one unit that the bulls typically just scream better than the other unit yeah
1: you know unit one hands down they they you're going to have a way more action-packed rut hunt you're going to hear more bugles um they're going to seem to be riding harder just because generally that's where more and more cows are at, so that's where the higher concentrations of bulls will pull to, and when you get a bunch of bulls rounded up together, you know, all hell can break loose.
0: We talk about 1, 2B, 2C. How much hunting goes on in 2B and 2C? You know, is that something that kind of the locals know where the elk are in 2B and 2C? You don't hear a lot about those other two units. I'm just curious, your thoughts on, um, you know, do hunters spread out or do they mainly focus in Unit One?
1: No, they mainly focus in Unit One, and they do it for good reason. There's way more elk in Unit One. There's very few in in Unit Two. Um, not, not to mention that during, say, the Unit One right or the Unit One archery hunt, which is Unit 1 and uh, 2B, 2C, I believe, um, during that time frame, they have a rifle hunt in units 2A and 2B that is an NEL hunt. So, you know, being an archery hunter, you're not going to want to run out to those units while there's a rifle hunt going on as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So basically it sounds like they really want to the game and fish is really trying to control the numbers in the in the two units trying to keep those numbers down if there's a rifle any elk hunt going on and it sounds like they throw it on the one the unit tag it on with the unit one hunt just to give more opportunity for those locals around there to probably um, keep those numbers in check
1: yeah I'm, i'm sure that's what they're trying to do but there there is you know, there, there's very, very few elk out in those areas. I mean, for anybody with a unit one tag to want to, you know, go try one of the other units to B to C, you know, they're really, they must have something scouted out pretty, pretty good. And it it can be very tough in unit two.
0: Just, I want to take a quick second here. I get a lot of questions um, on Instagram, and I try and answer as many questions as I can. One of the questions I get is, um, what, boots do you, what boots and socks do you recommend? Um, I'm curious, you, yourself, what you wear. Um, you know, do you have one boot that you wear throughout the season, uh, if so, tell me what it is. It and then as the as the hunts get, uh, you know, the weather gets colder and snow and what have you, you switch to another boot. You go from uninsulated to insulated. Um, you know, what are you running? What are you running these days?
1: I, I personally uh, now I'm wearing the crispies, the Hunter GTX, and they're they're damn good boot. I really like them. They're a taller boots, so a lot of people don't care for them. But I like a high boot. Um, another good one that I like to run uh, is the Danner pronghorns. They you know they don't last near as long as as the Christies, but they are comfortable. They're light, and they'll they'll get you through a bind for sure.
0: What about socks? What are you wearing any specific socks throughout the season?
1: No, I just I don't really care for a cotton sock. I go with the more synthetic, you know, smart wool or something.
0: Um what about uh you do a lot of glassing you and your guides um what what optics do you like what spotting scope do you like uh tripod like what's your setup
1: uh i personally i'll I'll run the e l ten by forty two swarovskis around my neck um and a lot of times on my tripod and then in my backpack I usually have my fifteen by fifty sixes and my btx on a 95 millimeter
0: let's talk about that so you're you're talking about the swaro 15 by 56 Mm Mm-hmm. okay and then the btx so you've been using the btx and the 95 and it's in your pack a lot um how do you like it i i really like
1: it a lot um you know i switched from the koa highlanders to the btx just mainly because of the Size and weight reduction. Um, I personally think that the COAs might have been a little better, um, you know, but that's thing I've heard people argue both sides of that table. So whether or not one was better than the other, I don't know. I, don't know. I personally like sitting behind my COAs better, but there were times that I would leave them behind just because of the weight and the packability whereas now I have, you know, half the size and half the weight, basically, and now I don't go, it's in my backpack all the time.
0: Okay, so you're saying optically when you're looking through the COAs, and, and I know exactly what you're talking about because I had the COAs as well, you're saying that you felt like edge-to-edge clarity, you felt like they were brighter. What, what was it that you would say if, if you know, if, if you're just sitting glassing with each one, you know, take out the fact that you had to hike them wherever you had to hike them. You would say if you're just sitting by your ranger and you're glassing a hillside, you would rather glass through the koas, but because of the weight savings and the size savings, the BTX is your go-to. Yes, for sure.
1: Um, yeah, the, the koas, I, I think we're just gather a little more light and we're a little – bit more crisp it seems like i can i could just get those down fine-tuned just super perfect where it seems like on my btx i can almost get them there but it's just not quite i mean don't get me wrong they are phenomenal they are great glass but after using the coas for so long it was you know i don't know it just seemed like they were just a titch under the coas for clarity and light gathering to me
0: I agree. I mean, when you're looking through the BTX, it almost seems like there is a, uh, a filter. Meaning, they're not darker, but there is, it's just a little bit different color to your eye. That's um, the colors were very, very crisp, very, very bright. Um, but it does seem like the BTX just has a smidge of, uh, the best way I could tell is just a smidge of a filter. Um, but that's a very, a good way to say it. Very kind of small difference, but if you had them side by side, looking at the same hill, and and you know weight or carrying them was not a factor, you would probably sit there and look through the coas. But if you said, "Well, now we got to go up on that ridge," it's a no-brainer that you're going to grab the BTX.
1: Yeah, definitely a no-brainer. I mean, I I've taken my BTXs um, twice, two times the amount of places that I ever took my coas, just. For that reason, I mean, my coas yeah. were heavy, and I am not a big guy, and they would just drag me down. And after a day of hiking some of this steep country over here, uh, with that in your backpack, you're you're whipped at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: What about tripods? Um, do you have the same tripod you run? I know with the Koas, you had to have a different tripod. One thing about that's nice about the Btx, and the, I use the Swarovski you know, twin spotters, is I can use the same tripod for everything.
1: Yeah, I, I run the same tripod for everything. The Coas, my 10s, my 15s, my BTX. Um, it's just a
0: May uh, carbon fiber. Okay. Okay, yeah, I use that slick carbon fiber. How do you like the May? I really I really like it.
1: It's been a great tripod. I've had it for shoot, I don't know, seven, eight years maybe, and um only right. had one issue with it. I had one little rubber foot come off the bottom, and, I'm, I mean, it hasn't skipped a beat, hasn't affected it at all. I still run it every day.
0: The Cali May has a little bit thicker legs. I haven't used them personally, but I've seen them, and it seems like the leg thickness, um, you know, the diameter is thicker than, say, the Slick Tripod. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm not real sure on the slick, but they do have a fatter, fatter legs than most. I mean, but it it is a lightweight tripod. It's a carbon fiber. Uh, the heaviest thing seems to be in my head.
0: Okay. Uh, what about uh, backpacks? Do you have multiple backpacks that you carry, or are you kind of a one backpack dude? What are, What are you using?
1: Um, I just use the Kuyu Ultra, and I just swap the bags in and out of it. So. Basically, the same pack but different bag. I mean, I'm sure you're very familiar with how that setup works.
0: Yeah. Do you find yourself carrying the bigger bag, like the 7,000, most of the time?
1: Yes, I do. Just because I pack so much crap with me.
0: I do too, and it almost just becomes like, hey, if I ever need it, I've got it. And then you can cinch it down, and, you know, guys ask me all the time, what do you use as a day pack? And I kind of say, well, I use the 7200 Icon Pro or I use the 7000 Ultra, and they're like, well, you know, why do you need that? And I'm like, I just get used to carrying that pack, and I know that if I ever need, you know, to put more stuff in there, I don't, you know, I don't have to switch the bags. But it is nice sometimes when you're just scouting and such to run, you know, a smaller bag in that 5,000 cubic inch um, area, don't you think?
1: Yeah, but I'm with you, Jay. I'd rather have a little extra room if needed. Like you said, you can cinch it down. Um, you know, it seems like any time I'm running those smaller bags, I'm cramming stuff in it, running my knee up against it, trying to get the zippers to shut, you know. But, um, no, it, they're all nice. I just, I pack
0: more crap than
1: I should, for sure.
0: <laughs> we tend to do that. Um, but it seems like we always have what we need. Okay, so looking forward, um, you know, guys are going to be wondering what to put in for. They're going to be listening to this podcast. Uh, I want to give you a chance to let the guys know where they can follow you, where they can find you, uh, you know, how they can reach out. And I'm going to do my best to link it up in the show notes as well. Um, But why don't you do that now, Justin? I know you've got a busy day, so I'll let you go. But um, tell people where they can find and follow you. Yeah, they can find and follow us on uh, Instagram, uh, Premium Hunts, or
1: Facebook as well. Um, and they can even find us online at premiumhunts.com. Um, all of our links should be up and, and going, so you know people can find our personal phone numbers there and reach us anytime if they'd rather just speak to us direct in person.
0: That sounds good, and I know um, you guys are going down. You've got a group going down to Mexico on uh, one of my DIY ranches. I know you guys are excited to go down there. I'm, I'm anxious to see what you guys can dredge up down there.
1: Yeah, we are super
0: stoked, and it uh, seems like
1: this last month is just crawling by. I mean, we're
0: all <laughs> so, anxious, so anxious to get out of here and,
1: and go have a good fun hunt. Can't wait.
0: That's awesome, buddy. Well, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sharing with us. Congratulations on your success this last season, and uh, always great to talk to you. Thanks for bringing value to the podcast. And, uh, uh, yeah, can't wait to see uh, you guys, how you do down in Mexico, and I just appreciate uh, all the work that you do.
1: All right, Jay, I appreciate you having me on and uh, taking the time to get with me.
0: All right, buddy. God bless. Take care.
1: Thanks. Bye.